Welcome to Formula 101. I'm Peyton, and this is not your average race recap of Formula 1 races. I'm going to be talking about a lot of exciting things both on and off the track, and I'm so happy you guys are listening with me. Uh this is going to be a fun ride, so thanks for coming along. So if memory serves, this should probably be my 5th episode of my mini series. This is the ABCs of F1 today. The terms I'm going to be talking about are coming from the letters M through O, so we're maybe halfway through. Uh but if you're new here, welcome. An explanation for this series is that I personally found through all my years of watching F1 that this sport is full of jargon and language that is difficult to understand and it makes it really hard for new people or new fans to jump in and have a good handle or gist of what's going on. So in these short 15-minute episodes, I break down a few terms from each of these letters to make your viewing experience and including mine because I'm still learning a lot more enjoyable. So as I said, today is M through O and I want to get started with the M terms. So the first one, I think there's going to be a few in this episode where I'll be comparing two things that kind of start one of them starts with the letter I'm going in and so I kind of expand on them that way. But the first one is the MGUK versus the MGUH and yes, those are acronyms. So I'm starting with a vastly complex topic. So I won't go into great detail as to the physics and the mechanics and the engineering of this whole arena of conversation. When it comes to that stuff, like when it comes to discussing all the aerodynamics and all of that, that is it goes over my head. It's it's like a foreign language to me. So it's usually far too complicated for me to wrap my head around, but again, I'm going to try and simplify it here. And I chose these really because this weekend I was watching both the Formula 1 race as well as the Formula E race which was in Monaco. And I was really interested in how these engines differ and how these cars are are functioned differently and are structured differently internally. And I got to asking questions of if I really knew the breakdown of how F1 power units functioned. So I've spoken about how the power units of an F1 car is not just a regular old internal combustion engine like you have on your road car. It has a lot of other components, a lot of more complicated pieces, I guess, because these cars are hybrids. And two big portions of this power unit are the MGUH and the MGUK. And these acronyms stand for motor generator unit and then either for H it's heat and for K it's kinetic. So starting with the MGUK which is the motor generator unit kinetic this is a system that collects kinetic energy that is lost during braking. So when the car goes into a corner and it slows down it is expelling all of this energy that is still incredibly valuable to the car and to running the car as fast as it can go. And so this system's main purpose is to funnel that energy back into the car's battery. And so you can think of this as kind of almost like a regeneration system of sorts and that the kinetic energy is collected into that battery as electrical energy which is then usable by the car to power the engine. And so the FIA does regulate how much energy this portion of the engine can produce. It limits things like the RPMs and the output. 
but that all changes when you come to the motor generator unit heat or the MGUH. And so this portion works to collect the heat and exhaust that is usually lost from the tailpipe of the car. So it captures the thermal energy and reuses this to generate electricity. And so they do sound similar in that, yes, they're both working to generate electricity and funnel that energy somewhere, but one, again, works with thermal energy, and the MGUK is working specifically with kinetic energy. So they really differ in what is put into them, especially the input, but maybe the output is fairly similar in that they're working towards a central purpose or goal. And so the electricity that is generated by the MGUH is actually able to be fed directly into the MGUK. And since I said before that the FIA regulates the output and the RPMs of the MGUK, there's actually a loophole that the teams have found here because the amount of energy created by the MGUH is not limited. So they're able to kind of bypass the regulations that the FIA has set by creating this loop system to connect both portions. And so the energy flow that is created is actually controlled by a computer known as the ERS, or the Energy Recovery System. So in doing research for this, I found that these systems were best explained as the brains of the power unit. And the software that they use determines how well the engine and the two MGUHs perform under the rapidly changing environments and driving conditions of a track. So the ERS is really paramount to judging and controlling how these systems function and if they're functioning at their best. Now the second M term is marbles or marbling, and I am not talking about the little glass balls. This has to do with tires, and I wanted to touch on it here since I heard it talked about this weekend in Spain, and I don't think I mentioned it in my tire-specific episode I made a while back. So as the laps pass and a race goes on, we know that the tires wear down and become slower. They deteriorate, and their rate of deterioration plays a pivotal role in how race strategies are formed. And so as these tires wear, the rubber from those tires is thrown off the cars, and it all accumulates on the sides of the track on spots where the cars don't regularly or repeatedly drive. And these little chunks and pebbles are known as marbles, and the drivers, for the most part, really seek to stay away from them during the race. Because these, you know, they make those less used parts of the track super slippery, actually. And they can cause problems like graining does on your tires. They can wear the tire faster and result in issues again with the strategy. And so they're called marbles mainly because drivers have said that driving on these little hunks of rubber or whatever are akin to trying to drive on a bunch of marbles. McLaren's website actually uses that quote. And so these marbles make overtaking way more difficult because you're moving away from the racing line. And so instead of the smooth, clean line that has been drived on or driven on repeatedly, you're on the dirty side of the track. So it's not clean, it's not smooth, it's a lot harder, and they can risk damage to the tire or the cars. And now I did say that drivers usually avoid marbles, which is majority of the time very true, but there is 
kind of a specific odd occasion where they choose actually to drive over the marbles. So remember how drivers and cars are weighed before and after races? You often see them get out of their car and go directly to like a little weigh bridge and they stand on a scale and someone writes down a number. Well, that is part of FIA regulation. That's something that happens at every race. And this is ensuring that the car and the driver hit a minimum weight because they want to make sure that nobody is cheating. Because remember, if maybe there's less fuel in the car, that means a lighter car, which also means a faster car. And they don't want anybody to have an unfair advantage. So to ensure that the car will hit its minimum weight mark, drivers will choose to go and drive over these marbles that have accumulated on the sides of the track to add weight to the car. And they could pick up a few kilograms of marbles on their way back to the pits, which can actually make a difference. It doesn't sound like a lot, but when it's a small numbers game, those few extra points can count and they can avoid penalties, you know. Now, the only end term I have, I only have one here, is Nomex. And this has to do with the clothes that the drivers wear when they get into the car. So the clothes that drivers put on have a lot of jobs. They have to be protective. They have to be lightweight and breathable. They can't weigh the driver down, but they have to be functional. They have to serve a purpose and every part of them has to be purposeful. So Nomex is the brand that is not just involved with F1. It's not specific to the sport. It was first marketed in the late 1960s, so it has been around a while. And it is used in a variety of products for its heat and flame-resistant powers. So almost all firefighters use it. It's incorporated into their clothing, as well as many military groups in their uniforms. And so in applying this to F1, I think it's valuable to look back at what happened to Romain Grosjean this past year. And I don't want to bring this up to kind of beat a dead horse or to cause any issues. I don't want to bring it up in a meaningless way. But what happened does apply to this conversation. So we know his car went up in flames and it wasn't a small fire. You could see him climbing through the flames And it really was a miracle that he got out of there with as little damage as he did. And if you didn't know, this is a side note, I guess, that uh, there were a few pictures of him with Mercedes released this past week. I think I put it on my Instagram. If you didn't know, Mercedes is giving him a drive at the Circuit Paul Ricard during the weekend of the French Grand Prix, which is his home race, obviously, because many, including Mercedes team boss Total Wolf, felt that he missed out on his last races and they didn't want his long and very wonderful career to end on such a low note. But back to the conversation of Nomex. So this is really, this fabric is responsible for protecting the drivers when instances like Grosjean's crash happen. Sometimes they're referred to as fireproofs. I call them fireproofs more often because Nomex is the brand name. But it's, it's a fire-resistant material, again, used to prevent burns. And it's inherently flame-resistant. It is a high-temperature fiber that will not melt, drip, or support combustion in the air. And it's in the balaclava, the gloves, the long underwear and long sleeves, the socks, even the shoes that the drivers wear. So it's everywhere. But it isn't fire-retardant forever. There is a time and a temperature limit. I believe the gloves are kind of thin because that's why Romain had more burns on his hands than anywhere else. 
But kind of in conclusion, Nomex is an incredibly important part of the wardrobe for the drivers because those thin pieces of clothing, maybe they look like they're not gonna do anything, but they are so important and they have to be substantial enough to really protect the drivers when crashes like that happen because those are so scary and they need to be given the protection they deserve. Now, lastly, let's go to the O terms. The first one is oversteer, which is probably a fairly easy term, especially if you are a car person, but it took me a bit of time to make the distinction between oversteer and understeer. I had heard it a million times while I was watching Top Gear, but I don't think I really ever stopped to fully understand it. So I'm just gonna break it down as easily and quickly as possible here. So the central tenant of both terms has to do with that of traction. So oversteer is when the car turns more than the driver intends to. So the rear of the car is stepping out and the rear tires, the wheels are losing traction before the fronts. Now, on the other hand, understeer is when a car turns less than the driver intends to, resulting in the car traveling wide on the intended path. And so the front wheels, in this case, are losing traction before the rears. And this usually happens with front wheel drive cars, while oversteer is mostly seen in rear wheel drive cars. And so you'll see both instances in F1, but it is certainly not specific to the sport. And now the last comparison term I want to make here is overcut versus undercut. And I will be completely honest with you here. If there's one thing in F1 that I have not been able to remember or wrap my head around, it is the overcut versus the undercut. It's always mentioned during race weeks. And when I tell you I am clueless, I mean fully that I am clueless. And so if you were holding me hostage and you said that the only way I would be able to go free is if I could explain the difference between the overcut and undercut, you know, don't expect me home anytime soon. But the overcut goes as follows, and I will explain this as clearly as I can. So painting the picture, you have car A is in front of car B, and car B wants to get in front. And so in the overcut, car B decides to let car A pit first. So while car A is in the pits, Car B goes all out. They drop the hammer. In in Bono's words at Mercedes, it's hammer time. They drive as quickly as they can to build up a gap between them and car A. And they want to build up enough time so that when car B does pit, they will still come out in front of car A. And this must take into account the pit lane delta or how long it generally takes to get into the pits, do the stop and get out on track again so they know how long or how great that gap needs to be between the two cars. Now, on the other hand, the undercut is as follows. So again, we're placing car A in front of car B, but this time car B pits first. So the idea here is that they will have the advantage of newer tires, and they will be able to close the gap to car A enough so that when car A does choose to pit, they will come out behind car B having been overtaken. So these strategies are ones I really hear the commentators talk about and question as they watch strategies play out and see how teams react. Because Red Bull may see Mercedes 
pit Lewis a lot earlier than they expected. And they have to react and choose and see what they're going to do in response to that to maybe cover any undercut or overcut that they believe Mercedes is going for. So that is as simple as a breakdown of the two terms as I can get. They're still complicated to me. I can't say I'll remember them even after I do this episode, but that's how that's those are important to understanding the strategies and how those on the pit wall are kind of dealing with the live events as they unfold. So that is all for this episode of the ABCs of F1. Today's episode was M through O. And thank you so much for listening and I will see you again soon.